0: The Enneacast is sponsored in part by Your Enneagram Coach. Did you know you can learn how to walk people through the Enneagram and see their lives transform? All from the comfort of your own home while also making an excellent income. Find out how by going to yourenneagramcoach.com BEC. There you can become a certified coach and help others discover just who it is God made them to be. Again, that's yourenneagramcoach.com BEC.
1: I think even growing up, like part of the message I would have interpreted from my parents, I didn't feel loved or appreciated, but it's because I was looking for an outward approval when honestly, they really were proud of me for just being.
2: This is a show about
0: self-discovery.
3: About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the
2: good, the bad, and the unknown of who we are.
0: This is about how we relate to God and everyone else. From Love Thy Neighborhood in louisville kentucky welcome 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 to the ENneA cast Good.
3: Hey, welcome to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Every episode we walk you through the Enneagram and this season is all about story and we are continuing our journey through the heart triad by looking at the story of type three commonly known as the Achiever. The Achiever.
2: All of our type episodes will be expounding on the content found in our workbook, Mapping Your Enneagram Story. So if you haven't yet listened to episode one from the season that walks you through that workbook and how to use it, I encourage you to check that one out first.
3: Right, and to get a copy of the Mapping Your Enneagram Story workbook, go to MappingYourStory.com. You can listen to this season without it, but it's really going to make the content come alive and personalized for you in a way that just listening cannot. So I encourage you to pick that up by going over to MappingYourStory.com. Okay, before we dive in, let's do a quick refresher. So type three, when they're healthy, they're efficient— They're competent. They enjoy motivating other people. They're self-assured. They're adaptable. They're energetic. And they are successful. You have such a good list. (laughs) I'm Uh, jealous. Sam's here to destroy your (laughs) self-esteem.
2: Yeah. And so when threes are unhealthy, they tend to be self-conscious about their image, both, you know, their physical appearance, but also their persona, their brand, whatever it might be. Um, They have a chameleon-like persona. So you never know kind of what you're gonna get there, shapeshifters, addicted to positive attention, internally vacant, superficial, and manipulative and calculating.
3: So this season we're looking at how the Enneagram plus life story equals clarity. We really need both components to get the full picture. You need your Enneagram, but you also need your life story. So let's explore the story for type three. So Sam, where does the story start?
2: So, yeah, their story starts in childhood. Uh, There was a childhood theme of performance and achievement. And so a lot of times we see threes grow up in situations that kind of conditional love, you know, valued for what you can do or perform. Uh, We hear oftentimes star athletes or star students or, you know, captain of whatever club or team. And, and that's whenever their parents showed up for them. And so there's a sense that I'm only loved for what I do. And so the theme of performance and achievement was the really
3: prevalent for threes. So if you have a copy of Mapping Your Enneagram Story, take some time to look through your life turns and, and take note if you see this theme of performance or achievement appear in any of your life turns that you mapped out.
2: And so growing up with this theme leads the child three to believe an unconscious message of it's not okay to have my own feelings and identity.
3: Yeah, because people really love you for your ability to perform, to fulfill, to execute, to succeed, and your emotions are really not that important. You know, what you feel, what you really long for, that doesn't really matter. To make it in this world you really need to make sure that you're tapped into things that are seen as successful because you don't want to be a failure.
2: And there's a sense of like vicarious living that sometimes takes place for the three where it's not okay to have your own identity. It doesn't matter what you want. It just matters what your parents want you to do. I think of uh, Troy Bolton from High School Musical. His dad really wanted him to play basketball, but he really wanted to do theater. You know, like that. It doesn't matter what you want, Troy. It's like, I just think of like that kind of internal conflict for the three is really important to note in their story.
3: We just experienced a generational gap because I literally don't. <laughs> You've not seen that movie? I, all I remember is some dance routine where they did synchronized basketball.
2: Yeah, get your head in the game. Yeah, 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 that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's that's what I thought of when we were talking about this, like, unconscious message for the three in their childhood. Yeah. Okay. So they absorb this message of it's not okay to have your own feelings and identity, and that leads them to long for something good. And the good thing they long for is to be valuable. That's the good thing that they want.
3: Yeah. I want to know that I have a treasured place in this family. Mm -hmm. I want to know that my friends will love me whether I work at the Circle K or whether I own the Circle K, like that my my place here is valuable and has nothing to do with my ability to achieve. And that's something that like every human being wants. Right. Um, But for the three, it's particularly acute because they feel a certain amount of pressure to succeed or to appear as somebody who is successful. So, all this stuff goes on in your childhood and it sets the stage for the nurturing of our false self. And this really starts when the three begins to settle. You know, we're all prone to settle for substitutes. And for the three, they want to be valuable, but what they settle for instead is being successful. And here's why being successful promises them two things it promises them success. In other words, I don't have to go through the pain of failure, Mm -hmm. but it also offers them admiration. And the tricky thing with admiration is this admiration. It feels a lot like love when you're getting those, you know, those admiring shots. Yeah. When you're getting all those likes on Facebook, you know, when you are up on stage and people are clapping for you, when you close that deal, all that stuff is so affirming Mm -hmm. that it feels like love. And very easily admiration and love get confusing for type threes.
2: Yeah, I think about, you know, like people bring you flowers after like a dance recital or people cheer and holler your name after the winning shot of a basketball game. Like it's it's very love-esque. Like it's yeah. got all of the same components. I of- can count
3: on people to show up when I'm succeeding. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And because the three begins to believe that being successful is going to give them what they want, it actually ends up becoming an idol. So the three will easily devote themselves to having success at all costs and even be willing to go to great lengths in order to gain it. In fact, they begin to sacrifice three good things in order to please this idol of being successful. So what are the three things? First, they sacrifice family and intimate relationships because those slow me down. I'm busy, I've got goals in order for me to achieve all of these things, I've got to work. And the other side is this, Family and intimate relationships, they also end up seeing not just the successful parts of me, they're Mm going to end up seeing the parts of me that are ugly. Yeah, the real stuff. The real stuff. And it's possible they're not going to like it. The second thing that they sacrifice is authenticity with themselves and others. Again, authenticity doesn't matter. What matters is making sure that I uphold the image that people admire. And third, they sacrifice being loved for who they are, not what they do. And that's a real shame because what it slowly tells the three over the course of their life is the three really comes to believe these people like me because of the way that I present myself to them. And if I don't present myself in the ways that I believe they admire, they're going to take their love away from me and, and their affection and their relationship from me. And so this idol of being successful it's a cruel taskmaster. Like it is, it demands a lot from type 3s.
2: So in this pursuit of being successful and in this cycle of sacrifice, the 3 creates the perfect conditions to grow their deadly sin. And for the 3, their deadly sin is deceit. Deceit is tricky. It's different than denial. You know, it's it's got this shape-shifting energy to it. Denial is just
3: flat. Denial is I can't see the truth at all. Deceit yeah. is I can see the truth. I really dislike what I see and I'm going to reshape the truth into something that's more palatable.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a marketing tactic
3: almost. Richard War says that for type threes that whatever works is true. Yeah. And that that's deceit at its worst. Truth is defined by function instead of by reality.
2: Right. And so here are some of the ways that the three grows deceit in their pursuit to be successful. They start with just the need to have positive regard from others. Another way it shows up is being committed to protecting their public image. And it shows up through just achievements because achievements are often easier than vulnerability.
3: Yeah. And again, achievements aren't bad things. No. You know? It's just it's more that it is it is just fuel for this deadly sin. And so, again, if you have mapping your Enneagram story, take a look at your life map. And do you see deceit showing up anywhere? And if you're like, well, I'm not deceitful, you may need to do some more work because often our deceit is growing unnoticed. And that's because sin is adaptable. It learns how to defend itself. And the three's defense of their sin is through their psychological defense mechanism known as identification. Identifying with the successful role that's being played or the mask being worn at the time. In other words, I'm absorbing... All of these attributes of other people that are admired by society and that I look up to. And as long as I'm fulfilling those attributes, then I am OK. A lot of times threes are operating and not even realizing deceit is happening because they're, they've got this chameleon thing that can happen to where they're just shape shifting so mm-hmm. much that it's hard for them to even know what is even true about them anymore.
2: And what makes a deadly sin so deadly is its ability to be sneaky. And it leaves us kind of justifying our behavior. And so for the three, what they say, you know, this kind of mantra that they kind of unconsciously live by is my success justifies my deceit.
3: Yeah, I have a lot of three. And this issue of deceit can pop up. And sometimes it just feels very justifiable to me. I'm like, yeah, it didn't really hurt anybody because in the end... The outcome was good. yeah, And so I can really get into a space of the ends justify the means. And the reality is like that is not the life of freedom that God has invited us into. So, Sam, where does that leave the three in the end?
2: Yeah, it leaves the three feeling obviously deceitful. It leaves them ashamed, whether they have an awareness of the shame that they feel or not, because threes sometimes struggle with their relationship to shame in the heart triad. And it leaves them feeling overworked. So what started as a good desire, you know, earlier we talked about the three's desire to be valuable and be valued has now become just horribly tainted.
3: Yeah. Okay. So that's bad news. Yeah. Like none of that's good. <laughs> Are we done um, talking
2: about the bad news yet?
3: <laughs> yeah. So that's all of that stuff really puts type threes in a, in a difficult position because they're lost. And in every person's life, there's a moment where you encounter Jesus. It's an invitation to a new way of life. And in Jesus, we see Jesus, the true achiever. Sam, how do we see these gifts of the type three showing up in Jesus?
2: Yeah, we see it through his ambition, his energy, and his vision. Anytime he preached about the kingdom of heaven, I think is a big example of his vision. He was always drawing us forward in hope.
3: Yeah, you know, so Jesus was not just like a fly by the seat of your pants kind of guy. He had both the ability to be very present in the moment with people, but no doubt. Jesus had a vision to communicate, mm-hmm. to gather crowds of people around God's kingdom, and for everyone to work together towards that goal.
2: Yeah, he knew where he was
3: going. Yeah. So in order for us to truly trust someone, they have to give us two things. They they have to show us empathy, but they also have to establish their authority. And in Jesus, what we find is that Jesus first empathizes with our wounds. You know, type threes— You carry a lot of wounds from your childhood in terms of feeling that you've got to live up to a certain image. You've got to be a certain level of success. You have to be a certain kind of public person um, in order to be admired. But Jesus empathizes with those wounds because Jesus failed to fulfill the crowd's demands to be a successful leader. Jesus routinely disappointed people when they were like, this is not what we had in mind when we thought of the Messiah.
2: Yeah, they had clear... Uh, expectations or visions or examples in Scripture, even that they they assumed that the Messiah was coming to have this big boisterous entrance, and Jesus was very lowly. You know, yeah. he had a very unique humility to him that yeah. was very against the expectations of others. Yeah,
3: Peter was appalled when Jesus began to talk about his own death. It was like that that category for a messianic leader, like that's not a category that yeah. existed. So all that to say is that three's. He grieves with you. You know, the wounds that you carry in life and the burden that you carry, your wounds are also the wounds of Jesus himself. So know that and know that he meets you in that place of hurt and pain. But Sam, he doesn't just empathize with us. He also shows us his authority.
2: Yeah, he affirms our true self. In Luke 4, we see that he says, today the scripture has been fulfilled. Like it's he accomplished his goal. He finished his task. And he doesn't just affirm our true self. You know, he confronts our false self so we can grow. So he allowed himself to be defeated on the cross for us. And to your point, you know, when he started talking about that, like his his disciples, especially Peter, just had no category for it. But he allowed himself to be humbled and to be defeated and, and shamed on our behalf.
3: Yeah. So how in the world did he do this? How in the world is it that he could be such a pure representation of the ability to achieve, the ability to be successful, uh, the ability to f- Finish the things you begin. Like, how could he hold up all those things and yet have no false self and yet have no failure and dark side to him? And the way that Jesus did this is because he believed the father who told him you are loved and valued simply for being you. Jesus had no question about his own value to God the Father. And because he wholeheartedly received that and believed that message and believed that he had that value, it allowed him to live purely from his true self. And so Jesus turns to you as a type three and he begins to speak to you. He tells you you are loved and valued simply for being you. And the response to that is that Jesus is inviting you into a new way of life. So John 8 says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free.
2: And through his gospel, the Holy Spirit is able to work into the three what they originally wanted, to be valuable. And one of the ways he often does this is through the virtue of truthfulness. So threes must let go of the belief that their value is dependent on the positive regard from others. They must move from a posture of shape-shifting into a posture of of truth and authenticity. Um, Then they can be valued for who they are and not what they have, produce, or look like.
3: Yeah, and the great thing is this, is that when we begin to step into this virtue, it has a natural side effect of bringing other good things into our life. And the gift that comes to threes when you begin to practice truthfulness is that you also will end up enjoying the fruit of trust. You will learn that, gosh, people really do just love me. I don't have to put on the right makeup. I don't have to have a certain kind of body. I don't have to have a certain, you know, degree of success in my career. I can trust people with both the good and the dark parts of who I am. And they're still going to love me.
2: And that trust goes both ways. You know, the authenticity yeah. that the three will then experience, it allows other people to trust them and to see beyond, you know, the persona that they've been, you know, putting up front for so long. You know, I think it's a it's a two-way relationship with that the fruit of trust.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Again, refer to mapping your Enneagram story timeline here. Do you see trust or truthfulness growing through any of your life turns? It's okay if you don't yet. Virtues take time to grow. So ask the Holy Spirit to grow truthfulness in you. And if you do see some of that, well, then praise the Lord. He's making you more complete in him.
3: And As the three continues to walk with God and be transformed, instead of reflecting a deceitful and overworked spirit, their true self increasingly reflects with clarity God's character. And three is what you will reflect back to the world as you grow more and more is God's hope and radiance. Our God is a God that sees possibility, goodness, efficiency, and you reflect this back to the world. And this
2: story isn't just an invitation for threes. There's an invitation for all of us here to develop yourself and to set an example for others. You know, I see healthy threes really have a good sense of self in a like a personality kind of way. They have some substance to them and they set an example for others. They make great leaders. And so for all of us, the invitation here is to develop ourselves and to set an example for others.
3: So that's the Enneagram story for type three. Well, when we come back, we will be talking with Enneagram Life Coach. Callie Ammons, stay with us.
0: The ENEAcast is brought to you by Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood offers social justice internships supported by Christian community for young adults, just like Kat Fowler from New York. I did Love Thy Neighborhood knowing that I was going to law school. I knew that I wanted to be in a program that would challenge me to serve, that would challenge me to understand what it looks like to draw near to those who are poor, those who are on the margins, and those who I naturally would never have had the opportunity or even the desire to draw near to. Ready to see how Love Thy Neighborhood could impact your life? Learn more and apply at lovethyneighborhood.org.
3: Hey, welcome back to the Enneagram. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Our guest today is Callie Ammons. Callie is a certified Enneagram life coach. She likes using the Enneagram to help people see their God-given gifts and step into a more abundant life. She's also a speaker, a writer, and the host of Living Enneagram, a podcast that helps people explore what it looks like to live with intention and understand yourself. And she is a three on the Enneagram. Welcome to the show, Callie.
1: Hey, thank you so much. I'm excited to be here.
3: Yeah, we're excited to have you with us. Uh, So I guess let's start here. Tell us a little bit about yourself and specifically, you know, we're curious about what role the Enneagram plays in your work or life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Callie, and I'm married to literally my best friend. I know everyone says that, but I'm like, I cannot imagine life without him. So my husband's name is Kramer, and we live in Northwest Arkansas. And over the past like three to four years of my life, God was really stirring in me to just help people live more intentionally. And so I was trying to do that through writing, talking to friends, just being present in my life. And then as I was on a self-development journey myself, I started to dig into the Enneagram and was just in awe of understanding myself as a type three. And then my husband Kramer is a type five. So first off, our marriage started changing so much when we started understanding what was actually going on and just some of our differences. And when I realized that you could become a certified Enneagram coach, I'm like, how cool is this? I literally can coach people and help them live more intentionally. But with this tool and understanding who God created each of us to be and what our weaknesses and our strengths are,
3: That's cool. And you got certified through our friend Beth McCord from your Enneagram coach. Yeah, she's
2: awesome. Her and Jeff are so great. So when you read the type three, did it resonate with you immediately? Um, What attributes kind of stuck out with you? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. A lot
1: of it did. Pretty much 100% of it really stuck out to me. I think the main things were when it started talking about productivity, efficiency, and how type threes will do anything it takes to be successful. I, I started crying, honestly, when I started reading it, because wow. my whole life I've been told things like, you're too much, you need to slow down. And it was one of the first times I felt so understood of why I have the energy that I have. And it was also humbling to see some of the unhealthy or negative parts of why I was probably striving and achieving for so many things in my life. I mean, even down to like cleaning my kitchen every day, I'm like, if there's a more productive way, like we have to do it this way. <laughs> yeah. And Kramer, my husband's always like, chill, like it's not that big of a deal. But my brain just <laughs> functions in that way. And that's how I view things. So yeah, those are the things that really
2: stuck out to me at first when I read about the three. What do you see as the gifts that threes bring, people, uh, bring to other people into God?
1: Mm, yeah, that's a good question. I think when we're healthy, our energy and our ambition to actually put things into action can be such a gift to other people because, you know, all of us struggle to take action to some extent, whether that's fear holding us back or people's opinions. And that's something that threes just jump in and want to do. And really, bringing back my marriage, like my husband as a type five has struggled to take action. And that's one way, like he's helped me slow down as a type three and to use more logic in my life. But right, right. I've been able to come in and help him like take more action. And it's been so cool to see his gifts come to life because he's pushed through maybe fear of n- of not being competent enough. So I think that's the gift that we really bring to the world.
3: Yeah. One of the things that we're doing this season is we're just exploring a bit of the story for each type. And one of the things I I wanted to ask you about was related just to childhood wounds. Many threes describe a theme of of performance and achievement in their childhood. You know, for you looking back, does does that ring true? And if so, in, in what way?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, it's interesting because we know like sometimes a parent or authority figure may have actually said those things to us or it was the message we heard. Right. And I've spent some time like trying to look back to be like, did my parents actually straight up say this? I don't think they did, but I was an athlete. And so I'm one of four kids and my older brother was an incredible basketball player. And so – My mission was to be so good at basketball and then also volleyball. And those are the two specific areas of my life. I can look back to being like four years old, five years old. And my one mission was to be the best player on the court, like on my own team and against people. And I just lived to see my parents' reaction during the games, but Mm. even afterwards. Mm -hmm. And if I felt like I disappointed them, like even if I lost my attitude on the court or something and I could see disappointment. I'd beat myself up and be like, you have to pull it together. You have to keep keep a strong, tough mindset during that. And it's just crazy to me, like looking back at such a young age that that's what I was striving for. And so absolutely. And if if there was something in my life as a young young kid that I felt like I was going to fail at or I would potentially fail or not be the best at, I would refuse to do it. Like I would try to avoid it at all costs. So
3: hmm. yeah, yeah, it's very
1: evident in my childhood.
3: Yeah, yeah. Does the desire to be valuable, even in my stillness, apart from what I'm doing, does that resonate very deeply with you?
1: A hundred percent. Yeah. Like if I'm spending time with friends and they're not constantly asking about work or like almost like stats, like how's it going or just, you know, what's the latest on your podcast or what's coming out if they're just with me and like we can just be and I feel valued, I still feel important apart from what I do, that totally resonates. I think that's something I've grown more into though. From a younger age, I think I really cared to be valued by what I did. And so if people didn't recognize my accomplishments or they didn't comment about it, I got so fixated on that and felt like they didn't love me. And I only judged that love based off of how they supported me or what they said about what was successful in my mind, which is kind of crazy to think about because they can't read my mind. And so Mm -hmm. um, I think even growing up, like part of the message I would have interpreted from my parents, I think that's where I battled and maybe didn't feel loved or appreciated. But it's because I was looking for an outward approval when honestly, they really were proud of me for just being.
3: It's fascinating how we kind of get ourselves in knots, you know, how how often we're like, we look back and we're like, you know what, actually, you know, our parents did the best they could and they they loved us well or our siblings loved us or whatever. But we still just perceive that I got to do all these extra things to really ensure that their love is going to stay and it's not going to leave me. And, you know, that it all just intertwines mm-hmm. and we end up doing this dog and pony show that's not, right. even, that's not even necessary. <laughs>
1: Right. It just continues to make it even worse and worse. And that story or lie that we're telling ourselves, then it becomes even louder. But it's just completely false.
2: Yeah. um, I'm curious about your um, relationship with vulnerability, because threes have the tendency to to kind of withhold vulnerability. So what's have you grown in your appreciation for vulnerability? Like I just talk a little bit about the times that you've been vulnerable and, and kind of what comes from those.
1: Yeah, I think I used to think I was vulnerable, but it was like a fake vulnerability just to act like I was being real, but really I was still protecting my image. So Mm. I, when we first got married, Kramer and I did, I mean, that would come up if I wasn't truly being honest about something. And the biggest thing that comes to mind is I would have expectations subconsciously. I wouldn't communicate them, but then it would lead into arguments or frustration And I would struggle to communicate why I was frustrated about it because it felt like a failure that I even had those desires or those expectations. Like mentally, I'd be like, come on, Callie, like just get over it, be okay with it. But I struggled to just say like, hey, my heart may not be in the right place, but this is where I'm at and this is where I'm struggling And so we used to have conflicts that would take days to resolve. And I'd say over like five years of major intentional work, um, specifically in my marriage, like Kramer has helped me so much to get better at, you know, what used to take days to resolve. Now we can resolve in five minutes because it's like if you're not going to be real or vulnerable, then we can't resolve this. And I think recognizing too, like Christ loves me even in my imperfection. My husband loves me even in my imperfection and my friends. And so when you truly believe that truth, like when I accept that truth, that's what empowers me to be vulnerable because I'm no longer having to try to protect my false image of looking perfect or, you know, keeping things all in order. Um, And so I think that's what's really helped me grow in it. But I still have a long ways to go.
3: So let me ask about that, because you were talking about, you know, when you begin to believe that you're loved, that you don't f- you don't feel the need to withhold your vulnerability. What are some of the ways that you see deceit sort of sneak in, you know, because I doubt that it ever comes in like, you know, horns blaring with a soundtrack like it's coming in quiet. You know, how? Mm-hmm. what are the ways that it kind of has snuck in at times with you?
1: Yeah, one like major story that I think of is when I was 16, I I remember having this moment where I had just gotten injured and had a really intense surgery and so I was pulled out of basketball and I ended up going and working at a summer camp because I was able to do that since I wasn't going to be playing basketball all summer. And I remember sitting up on this hill just overlooking this lake all by myself just sitting there. And I remember just like the Holy Spirit putting on my heart like who are you? Like, what's the reputation you've created? And in that moment, it was like the first time I looked at my life and I was disgusted of who I'd become, like the friends I was hanging out with, the deep relationships I was in, the trouble I had been getting into. But I had this image on one side, like in the church world and with my parents, I looked like a sweet little angel. But on this other side, I was doing whatever it took to be popular. And the person that everyone wanted to be with. And I remember just sitting there with myself and being like, how have I gotten to this point over years and years of doing this? And I honestly had like not thought about it. I thought I was something I wasn't. I thought I was a nice person. And it's like a nice person doesn't gossip about her friends all the time. A nice person doesn't put these people down. And that is an extreme moment of deceit. And I was so caught up when I look back at that. I was so caught up in the image of how other people perceived me. And so that can come in big ways or even little ways. Like getting on a podcast or speaking in front of people. Am I more obsessed with what Jesus just wants to do through me and speak through me? Or am I more obsessed of what someone thinks about me and the impression that I'm leaving on them? And that's the dangerous thing that my heart constantly has to be in check. And again, I'm not perfect. like I still fail at that. But I think Something that's helped me work through that is, one, understanding that that's a weakness and that's a blind spot in my life. And then having people like my husband or close friends that watch me and call me out. My husband will literally just ask me a question be like, hey, like, do you feel like you were being your most authentic self during that moment? And just ask in a really gentle way, but it allows me to take a step back and it's like, wow, I was very consumed with my image during that moment.
3: Yeah, I've heard, um, I've heard Richard Rohr say that one of the temptations for threes is, is that whatever works is truthful and they mistake function for truth instead yes. of understanding that there's an objective truth and that mm-hmm. function can be many different things, many, much of which can come from deceit. Um, 100%. So God's message to the three is you are loved and valued simply for being you. What, what part of that message hits you?
1: I think like at first when I heard that, and even like now when you say that, I'm like, really? Like, that's what I want to mm. ask. Like, really? Yeah. Like, I'm just loved for being like, I don't have to do. Um, just three nights ago, I was laying in bed and just kind of like calming down my mind for the day, started to pray. I was like, okay, Lord, like where, like, show me where I've been sitting, show me where I'm wrong. And I just heard like this gentle voice, like, chill. Like, you're fine. Like, just be with me. And that brought me back to this message that you're asking right now. I think it just shocks me that, like, I am loved for just being. And when I accept that truth from an overflow of I'm loved for just being me, then I get to do. But I so often can get that backwards of I want to do in order to be loved. I mean, that's what resonates with me is that I don't have to do anything. I can just be and he's content with me.
2: Yeah, I love that picture because... It's, it was a good question that you were asking. Like, it, there's nothing wrong with asking, like, where have I gone wrong? What can I do to improve? But that's the message that the three kind of always clings to is is, right. the, is the banner of self-improvement and, and the never-ending mm-hmm. ladder. And so for the Lord to kind of quiet you, to get you off of that ladder and to say, like, it's okay. You, you've done enough. You are enough. I, I think that's really beautiful. And so that's, man, God is so good when he talks to us. Like, he knows exactly what we need. Mm-hmm. He is. It's
1: so good. And it's like, if we're seeking him wholeheartedly, he's so faithful to direct us on the path of the righteous, like that we need to be on. And I was reminded that in that moment, too. He's like, I got you. Like, I'm going to convict you. I'm going to show you. So, yeah, it was powerful.
2: Yeah. So um, truth is kind of the virtue that we see that threes are that are invited into. So for you living in that truth, what kind of happens next?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, first to talk about like how I grow in truthfulness in general, this might sound like christian ease, but it's really understanding that my mind is renewed by spending time in the Word and being with God and letting Him continue to show me what is truth. Because at my core, in my flesh, the whole being deceived and thinking I'm believing the truth, but I'm not, like, that's scary and that's dangerous. So I think starting in a place of letting truth take root in my heart and transform me, truly renewing my mind and allowing me to see what is truth and that has completely, when I'm centered in Christ and that's what I'm seeking, like, that's what completely leads me. And he is faithful to convict me of the deception that's in my
3: heart. Let, let me ask you this. If, if you had a younger type three in front of you and they were just kind of starting out their journey in life and they, they needed to hear something from you, like, what would you love to say to a younger type three? There's
1: two things that I would say to him. Um, the first thing is that only God knows the depths of your heart and the deceit of it. And so I'd say become obsessed with getting to know him because he's gonna show you everything you need to truly be successful of what success is, which is living for the kingdom. And he's gonna show you everything you need. And then the second thing would be that what our world calls success is so empty and you will work so hard to try to achieve it, but it's never gonna fulfill you. And so the more that you can look At the face of Jesus, the more success you'll actually find.
3: Yeah, that's beautiful. That's really good. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's a good place to turn the page (laughs) to our our next thing. So, when we come back, we will be playing. You've got problems with Callie Ammons. We'll be right back. In today's episode of the INEAcast, Cast, we're exploring the story of Type Number Three, and these folks—they're goal setters. They like success and they like to achieve, but sometimes. Achieving, it comes at a cost. Head over to our other podcast, the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. And specifically, check out episode number 23, where the gospel meets student loan debt
1: student debt. It wasn't just a hurdle. We say it was a mountain. I'm going to have to quit. I'm not a quitter.
3: Higher education isn't underfunded. It's underaccountable.
2: If we are to reach the world for Christ, we have to address the issue of student debt.
3: Yeah, that sounds awesome. But we were like, do you guys have any money for that? And they said, no, not yet. You can listen to the Love That Neighborhood podcast by listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. Or by heading over to lovethatneighborhood.org slash L-T-N podcast. Again, lovethatneighborhood.org slash L-T-N podcast. Welcome back to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. And now it's time for You've Got Problems. Okay, so You've Got Problems is based off a real game by Jack Dyer. You can find it on Amazon or by going to jackdyer.com. A word of warning, though, if you play it, you will want to go through and censor some of the cards before you play it in mixed company. Okay, Callie, here's how you play. For each round, Sam and I are going to each present you with two perk cards. These cards have wonderful, useful, just plain awesome things on them. Uh, You're going to choose which perks you would like to have in real life. However... Before you choose, Sam and I are going to sabotage each other's perks with a problem. So whichever oh. perks you choose will also have a problem that comes with them. After we sabotage, uh, you have to choose which set of perks and problem you would go for in real life. Whoever set of perks you choose gets a point. We're going to do three rounds, best out of three wins. Are you ready? All right. Let's do it. Okay. So let me draw my cards here. Okay, go, Sam.
2: Okay, Callie, you can be in two places at once, and you will always be perfectly healthy. That sounds good so far.
3: (laughs) Okay, or you never have to attend any event you don't want to, and nobody notices any of your flaws.
2: Mm. Okay, let's hear the bad side. (laughs) Okay, Okay, so sure you'll never have to attend any event that you don't want to, and nobody knows your flaws, but you must spend the rest of your life in solitary confinement. Oh.
3: Okay. Sure, you'll be perfectly healthy, and you can be in two places at once, but you'll always have a bucket covering your head.
1: (laughs) What? (laughs) I'm definitely going with Sam's.
3: Wait, so wait. So you're cool with a bucket on your head? Yep.
1: As long (laughs) as I can be in two places at once. That sounds awesome.
3: (laughs) See? I knew it.
1: (laughs) Productivity.
3: (laughs) Man, I underestimated the efficiency of that. (laughs) All right. Callie, here we go. Here are the perks I'm offering you. You are the best smelling person on planet Earth. And you are always the best dancer in the room.
2: <laughs> okay. Or you wake up every morning perfectly clean without having to take a shower. Imagine the time you'll save. And every store lets you go on a free shopping spree. Ooh. Imagine the money you'll save.
3: Oh that's not fair all right so sam you go
2: okay so sure it's true that you're the best milling person on earth which like who cares honestly and then you're always the best dancer in the room when will that come in handy that's my question but i'm trying to sabotage you, you got on my real own sassy all of a sudden <laughs> i'm just trying to <laughs> sabotage him on my own um it's also true that you can only communicate by fax which is the least efficient way of communication like fax fax machine
3: oh that's old school oh yeah
2: only communicate by faxing
3: yeah, hmm. I'm thinking of Woof now from The Office. Oh yeah, I suddenly come to mind. <laughs> um, okay, so you, sure, you wake up every morning perfectly clean without having to take a shower, and yes, every store lets you go on a free shopping spree. But a new cat appears in your home every day, and you cannot disown or kill the cat.
2: <sighs> oh man!
1: So That's one hard. one
3: year passes, you got, got a, lot cats, cats, a lot
2: of cats. Three hundred sixty-five cats, except for this year, which is three hundred sixty-six. Wow yeah
1: sam i'm sorry i do not i'm not a cat person so we're going with (laughs) jesse dang it
3: we got a game y'all we got a game (laughs) all right your turn to go first
2: okay so callie you will have the most followers on every social media site and Mm. your brain has a direct connection to the internet
3: Ooh, dude those are good i did not pick as well as you did (laughs) um All right,
1: here's what
3: what I've got. I've got, you are best friends with your favorite celebrity.
1: Oh, I like that Mm -hmm. one. Yeah, who would that be?
3: Who's your favorite celebrity?
1: I literally can't think of anyone right now. Like, Justin Bieber popped in my head, but he's not my favorite celebrity.
3: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But keep
2: going. We'll we'll try.
3: (laughs) Okay. And you're an expert at every weapon known to man.
2: Okay. So in the case of a zombie apocalypse, that would come in real
3: handy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. She's your go-to person everyone. for the zombie apocalypse. Yeah, totally.
2: Okay, let's hear the bad sides. Sure that it's true that you are best friends with every celebrity. No, with your, <laughs> no, with your favorite celebrity, not every celebrity. <laughs> and you are an expert at every weapon known to man, but you will have the hiccups for the rest of your life. Mm, okay. Which is inconvenient if you have a podcast.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that'd be annoying. I'd probably have zero listeners. <laughs> you could edit
3: that out. You could edit them. My editor would like me. (laughs) Your editor wouldn't like you, but it's all good. Okay, so sure, you have the most followers on every social media site, and your brain has a direct connection to the internet, but your hands and feet switch places.
2: What?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. I'm still going with Sam.
2: Yes.
3: So she's still, so you're willing. To, oh, man. Uh, <laughs> I win yes, at this game.
1: because I like the perks
3: to hers so much more. I hope your husband likes holding feet.
1: <laughs> <laughs> He'll be fine with it. That's funny.
3: <laughs> I win. All right, Sam. Congratulations. Thanks. I'm
2: the champion. Good job, Sam.
3: Okay. And now it's time for listener questions. Okay, so the first question comes from Wendy underscore Holdsworth. How do you approach a three after they have been critical of someone?
1: After the type three has been critical of someone? Yep,
3: so if a type three has been critical of someone, how do you approach them to discuss that?
1: Yeah, I think asking questions is the best thing. Like, what made you say that about that person? Because oftentimes, type threes are, they can be self-aware once they start talking and hearing the way they're acting. And so I think literally asking them what made you say that and keep asking questions
2: i think it depends on how much like one energy and eight energy they're bringing into the relationship because i don't experience threes as not not they can't ever be critical but so i'm just curious as to like what other kind of personality characteristics are at play with this particular person because you don't want to confront an eight in public that's what i'm thinking yeah yeah yeah, right right so i would think the three energy is usually
3: more conscious of other people
2: yeah so i think Mm -hmm. what she's saying just like pulling them aside and asking good questions i think is good advice Um, Like you're saying it may not take
3: as much direct confrontation. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, The next question comes from Terry Coffey. How do I praise my three husband for his accomplishments without feeding into the lie that his worth is found in those accomplishments? Do we want to
3: acknowledge the fact that this is Terry Coffey of Lachlan Coffee, who hosts the Love My Neighborhood podcast? No, I didn't know who that was. Yeah, Yeah. that's funny. Yeah, so this hi Terry, hi Lachlan. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. So uh, so how do I praise my three husband for his accomplishments without feeding into the lie that his worth is found in those accomplishments?
1: I think a balance of complimenting, like making sure that you talk more about their character, who they're becoming in order to accomplish those things. So celebrating more the time that they're spending in the word or the decision that they had to have integrity for and still complimenting their accomplishments, but just doing it at a minimal <laughs>
3: Yeah, Yeah. that's really good. I I think that's that's really key. Spot on to say, spend more of your energy celebrating their character than their accomplishments. Mm -hmm. Uh, Okay, this next question comes from Christy Robison. Since threes can be chameleons and look like other numbers, do you think there are actually more threes in the world that are just mistyped? That's That's an interesting question. question. Yeah.
1: I feel like, honestly, so many types are mistyped. Like, I don't know if I would say threes are more commonly mistyped than other ones, because just when you get into the subtypes, unhealthy, healthy, wings, all of it, there's so many people that think there's something because, oh, I'm just a perfectionist, or I'm really loyal to my friends. So I don't know that I would say threes are, like, I'm sure there are several threes out there that are mistyped, but I don't know
2: if they're more than others. What would you guys say? My first thought was about gender. For me, I think that women threes might get mistyped as other things. Like they might be like disguised as twos. Yeah. And, and just like I'm going to be really helpful or I'm just going to be all of the things that I'm doing are all in service of somebody else. Um, right. I think that it's harder for women to feel comfortable in the three space. Whereas men, I think um, it's more praised for them to feel like they have that three energy. So my thought was all just around like gender differences among the types and if there are mistypes, particularly among women.
3: I think back to the comment you made earlier just about what other characteristics are at play. But it's not hard for me to see a three being mistyped as a seven. Or let me say this: I um, on the next episode, you know, we're about to have Scott Sauls on, and one of the things that happened on Ian Cron's Typology podcast is that Scott had identified as a three, but Ian came back and said hey, the more I listen to you, I think actually you're a four. And it was because of Scott's job and his role that a lot of that three energy came out, which I really, I identify with that, you know? So I don't know if, I don't know how much I would say that they're more mistyped than others, but I think the the reason for the mistyping is just different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't
2: think it's because of their chameleon-like presence. I think it has to do more with like what you're saying, like what their profession calls for.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Right.
2: Okay. This last question comes from JC Brown, 2525. Is it common for threes to be class clowns as children? I think so. If it makes them look
1: successful, I think it really depends on the group of friends. Like if you care to be successful in a classroom or with specific people, then you will be. It's just whatever is successful to that child in their environment, I believe.
3: Were you a class clown?
1: Um, no, so I was actually homeschooled. So <laughs> I was about to laugh. I'm like, well, with like my four siblings, <laughs> um, but I am. The, were you the of,
3: funniest of your four siblings?
1: <laughs> I'd say my brother was for sure. But yeah. I, I did like I think about my friend groups or like classes I did take. And I would definitely do things to make them laugh. I just did whatever I needed to do to be successful. If that was like studying for a test and actually doing good, then I would do it. If it was making people laugh and causing trouble, I would do that too.
3: It's fascinating because it's it's almost when you say it that way, it does. It makes me think of like actors and actresses where it's like, oh, is this a comedy role? I'm mm-hmm. I'm gonna be a comedian. Oh, is this a drama? I'll be, yeah. you know, dramatic. Like it's fascinating how the three energy just attaches to that way of of being. Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And we read the room. Like you literally walk in a room and we're reading, like, okay, what do I need to be to be successful?
3: That yeah. record,
1: that's what's going on. So yeah, I think they definitely can be class clowns though. Yeah.
3: Okay. So Callie. Thank you so much. It's been awesome having you on.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much, guys. This was awesome to talk with both of you.
3: Well, thanks to our special guest today, Callie Ammons. You can check out Callie's podcast, Living Enneagram. You can find Living Enneagram along with other Enneagram resources as well as Callie's life coaching services by going to her website, callieammons.com. That's Callie Ammons, C-A-L-L-I-E-A-M-M-O-N-S.com. As always, thank you to our friends at Crosspoint Ministry who trained us in the Enneagram. Uh, you can learn about their work and all their amazing retreats that they do, including Enneagram-related stuff, at crosspointministry.com.
2: Our show is a production of Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood provides social action internships supported by Christian community for young adults ages 18 to 30. Come serve with us for a summer or a year. Grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at loveneighborhood.org.
3: Today's episode was produced by myself, Sam Stevenson, and Rachel Zabo. Engineering and editing by Rachel Zabo. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX.
2: I'm Sam Stevenson.
3: And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community.